It is just an honor to get to share God's Word with you as we wrap up our message series called The Grace and Truth Tension. We've been talking about the fact that when Jesus came to earth, the Bible says he was full of grace and truth, not grace or truth. Remember we said he didn't have grace days and truth days. This is always who Jesus was, full of grace and truth, and it's who he is today. It's how he looks at us today, in fact. It's how he sees the world today. And this weekend, I want to focus uh, specifically on how this might work out in our daily lives, in our personal relationships that we have with others. Because, you know, we should obviously we should live out Jesus' words because he says them and he's Jesus. That's a good reason there. But we might ask the question, well, does this really help me, though? Does this make my life any better? Is it, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm more of a grace person or I'm more of a truth person. And I'm concerned that, you know, maybe if you're more of a grace person, you're concerned that if you started speaking more truth that, that maybe people aren't going to like you as well. And maybe relationships are going to be tougher. Or if, if you're more of a truth person, you're like, I don't know if I want to get into this grace stuff too much because people are going to see that I'm like soft and not as tough as they thought I was. And No, I believe, friends, that there's no better way to live than Jesus' way, which is full of both grace and truth. See, when God tells us how we should live, it's for a reason, right? Remember, he's our creator. He knows us better than anybody else in the entire universe. And I believe that when we live his way, it makes our lives better. A couple weeks ago, I got to have a conversation with Tom Bush, who actually was playing guitar up here this morning. Uh, Tom is a life coach and executive coach, and uh, we were talking, and he shared with me a little illustration that I thought was so powerful, and I wanted to bring that into you today and um, kind of give you the preacher version of it, of course. So if you don't like it, don't blame Tom. You can blame me, right? But um, I felt it to be very, very helpful and, and he used a little graph here um, to illustrate why this grace and truth tension is so powerful when we live it out well. So on, on this graph here, the purple line represents relationship, relationship, okay? And the uh, orange line represents results, okay? And we tend in every, in every human interaction, we tend to want both relationship and results. They both matter to us. Or if we put it in the words that we've been using here, grace and truth, right? So if we kind of look at it this way. Let's take this for example. Say that after church today that you go out to lunch or brunch or whatever you do, and you have um, your, your server comes to your table, and your server, uh, they, they walk up, they kind of scowl at you, they chuck a menu on your table, and they're like, what do you want to eat? Already, you're like, I'm not sure the tip is going to be so strong today, right? This person doesn't seem friendly at all. They don't seem relational like I expected to be at least, you know, treated somewhat nicely here. This just seems kind of off-putting. And so, so they might bring your food, and your food could be good, but the experience is going to be lacking because there wasn't much for relationship there. By the same token, your server could walk up to your table, could be the sweetest, kindest person ever, could talk you up about all these things in your life and everything, and then you're sitting there and you're waiting, it's been like 20 minutes, and you still don't even have your beverages yet. Why? Because your server's talking up all the other people in the restaurant, right? Like, we would like some results here, you know? It's nice that you're friendly, but we're also hungry. That's why we showed up, 
right? So we want to have both results and relationship. We want to have both truth and grace in our relationships. These, these are valuable to us. So if we kind of look at, start first at the, the bottom left corner of this graph, right, this would be the place um, where you don't have either one of those, right? No grace, no truth. No results, no relationships. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that this is not going to work out well. So we're not going to spend much time on this one. I'm not even going to give you a biblical example because, well, it's just a dumb way to live, right? I mean, if you don't tell the truth and you aren't nice, what value are you really adding to any relationship out there? I mean, there's no relationship, and there's really not much for expectations. It's no grace, and it's no truth. Maybe you've had somebody in your life before who was like this. Maybe you had a really bad boss. Some of you are thinking back to your first job, right? You're like, oh, no, not that boss again, right? But you had somebody who just, they didn't seem to care. They didn't seem engaged in the work you were doing. And they didn't seem to care that much about you and what you were doing. If, if you had a boss like that, how are you going to feel? Well, you're probably going to feel pretty unimportant because they don't care about you and they don't ask anything of you. Uh, you're going to feel bored because, well, they're not asking much in that relationship. And you're going to feel demotivated, too. You don't, you don't feel like you're important to them, so why would you feel like you would do much for them? You see, if you've got no grace and no truth, then you've really got no value. The relationship really doesn't have value, okay? So, so we're going to move on from that one because that's not a very fun one. So if we go to the bottom right corner, now you're going to be, what if we had all truth but no grace, okay? We're going to be high on the results side of things but low on the relationship. Now, I'm sure all of us have relationships that we can look to like, yep, I have people coming into my mind right now who are just this way. It's, it's not something that really adds much value to me. Because what, what, And how do I feel in this situation? Well, I feel perhaps used and abused, right? Because they always want something from me, but they don't seem to care that much about me, right? It's, you kind of feel like they're saying, look, you know, just come here, do your job, shut it, and, you know, I just get stuff done, okay? I, I don't really need to hear you talking. I don't really want to hear about your day. I don't really, you know, whatever. That's just not my thing. Just get stuff done, okay? And by the way, beatings will continue until morale improves, all right? Just how it is around here. How would you feel in this kind of relationship? Well, like we said, used and abused. You're going to be nervous and, and fearful, too. I mean, what happens if you do the wrong thing? You're in big trouble. And they don't even like you, right? So they're not probably going to be nice to you. And you're going to feel pretty stressed out because you're always trying to not make a mistake. And when you live your life in a way just to avoid mistakes, you really don't get your best stuff done because you're living in fear. You're not living with confidence or courage. You see, all truth and no grace, well, that leads to resentment and to rebellion. There's a story in the Bible about this, a guy by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam and Rehoboam's dad was Solomon, who was the wisest king in all of Israel's history. And Rehoboam would take over after Solomon. Unfortunately, that wisdom doesn't seem to have been genetic, okay? 
Rehoboam didn't get it quite so well as what Solomon did. I mean, when he took over the reign of Israel, Israel was in her heyday. They were at a point that the nation would never, a point of greatness, the, the a nation would never come back to. I mean, this was a time where their, their stock market was booming, right? There was peace. Uh, everybody was happy. Everybody had their student loan paid off, right? Like, things are great in Israel right now, right? And this is how he takes over. And, and yet the people, they come to him, and they've got a concern. They said, Rehoboam, your dad was amazing. He was a great leader. We love him. Um, he accomplished so much. But here's the deal. Taxes are really high, and we don't really like high taxes. So if we could talk about that, could we lower the taxes a little bit here, right? And, and, and we will be your loyal subjects, okay? This is our, our one big concern. Well, Rehoboam, he was a new king. He wasn't sure exactly what to do, so he called in his father's advisors. This was a wise move, right? Let's talk to the guys who advised my dad. What would they say in response to this request? First Kings 12, 7. The older counselors replied, if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and to give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. Maybe some wisdom in that. Might have to deal with a little bit less money, but if you've got their loyalty, you're going to accomplish great things here as their king. Well, Rehoboam did not like the old-timer's answer. was not impressed with this at all. So he called together a group of his buddies, right, his peers, and said, hey, this is what the old guys are telling me to do. Well, what do you think? What, what, what would you do in this situation? Verse 10, the young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. <laughs> How does that even work? I've never gotten in a fight with somebody with scorpions, right? Like that seems, that's just dumb, right? I mean, these guys are the epitome of insecure, right? You know, oh, well, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Let me show you how big and tough I am, right? Ha-ha. <laughs> well, it didn't go so well at all. This is what Rehoboam did. He took the young guy's advice. He ignored the wisdom that he'd been given, and it led to a permanent split in the country. The country would never be united again. From those days on, it would not be the nation of Israel. It would be the nation of Israel and the nation Judah. Permanent split. Because he was all truth, if you will, no grace. No grace in him whatsoever. Now, that's an extreme example. But when we don't show grace, when we don't listen when we don't value others, when we think that we've got it all together and they just need to figure it out, we don't get very far in life. That's not who God calls us to be. And while truth is important, and while I'm sure it would have caused some problems to lower taxes, the, the approach that he took to it was so harsh that it divided the country forever, forever. So if we, uh, so all truth, no grace, leads to resentment and rebellion. Now, if we keep moving around, we go to the top left corner over here. We have the opposite where we have 
all grace and no truth. And so here we've got maybe a good relationship, right? You're very kind. You're very friendly. You, you, you're very loving. People love to be around you. They just think you're a super person, right? But you really don't have expectations for others. The expectations, if any, are, are quite low. Lots of grace, not much truth. Uh, I'm sure we can all think of relationships like this, or perhaps we're in some relationships like this. I think that in uh, in modern parenting, this is a common problem, right? That that we struggle because we want to help our kids. We love our kids. We care about our kids. We want to give them every possible advantage that they can have in order to succeed. But the challenge is they're still kids. They're not all-knowing, right? And sometimes they want things of us that we really shouldn't give to them, right? You know, and yet we want them Deep down inside, we want them to like us. And so it's hard for us to say no. And so there's things that we know we'd ought to say no to, but we don't say no to because we're afraid that they're going to get mad at us, they're not going to like us, they're going to just make life miserable for us. So we, we give in. We do the chores while they watch TV. We, uh, they, they don't like our vacations. They're not good enough. So we go into debt so we can take better vacations, right? Or, or whatever the thing may be. We all, at the end of the day, friends, we want to be liked. Not just by our kids, but in general. If you don't want to be liked, that kind of tends more towards the sociopathic side of things, which we try to avoid, right? Like, there's, there's it's not an evil thing, to want to be liked, the problem is when we put that desire in the driver's seat. And for many of us, we're making a lot more decisions than we realize based upon, based out of a deep desire to be liked. I just want you to like me. I want you to agree with me. I want you just to, to, to think I'm good, to affirm me, because deep down inside, I'm not sure that I'm okay with me. That's how we oftentimes operate. And we may not even see it that way. But this is what it's like when we focus so much on relationship and we don't have any expectations where there should be some expectations. All grace plus no truth, it's a license for evil. If you've got people like this in your life, you may feel comfortable, right? Because they make you feel comfortable. It's not a relationship that demands much of you. But in this kind of relationship, you're, you're lacking purpose, because what's, what's the point? I mean, yeah, they're really nice to me. That's great. But where's this relationship going? Is this challenging me? Is this taking me anywhere? anywhere? Um, we may feel not trusted. If you have a boss like this, it's always like just super nice but doesn't ever ask anything of you. Like, do you, do you really trust me? Am I really, am I really valuable here? Because it doesn't seem like I am because not much is actually asked of me. See, when we ask things of people, it, it's really an act of love, I think. It really is a good thing because um, if the relationship uh, demands that or, or opens the opportunity for that to happen, it's a good thing to do. Um, there's examples of this in the Bible, uh, numerous ones, uh, but let's stay in the Old Testament here. Um, there was a guy named Eli. Eli was a priest. You might remember him as being the one who young Samuel was brought to there in the temple. Well, Samuel wasn't the only one, though, that, that Eli had been responsible for. Before that, he had sons. He had Hophni 
and Phineas. And these two guys are A1 jerks. I mean, they not good. There's nothing good or honorable about them in the Bible. They are uh, like their dad. They're, they're priests there. So they're responsible for leading, uh, leading the people in worship. And so when people would show up with their sacrifices, Hophni and, and Phinehas would do really bad things. The Bible says in uh, 1 Samuel 2.12, the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Now, that's bad news. I mean, if you're a, a, a priest or a pastor or whatever and you don't respect the Lord, well, that kind of disqualifies you right there. And, and they didn't even respect their, their duties, their responsibility. The Bible tells that, that people would bring their sacrifices, their gifts for the Lord. And Hophni and Phinehas, they would steal from the sacrifices, take things that were not theirs, that were God's, and they, they would take them for themselves. It's like a pastor having their hand in the offering plate. It's just wrong. It's evil, right? And, and beyond that, there were young women who would work there at the temple, right? They were, they were folks who would serve at the temple, and Hophni and Phinehas would have sex with them, right? Which is not okay at all in any way, shape, or form here. And this is what these guys would do. They were abusive of people. They, they did not care about their role. They did not fear God. Now, if you're Eli, the priest, you got a big problem because these are not only your sons. They are the people who are, are underneath you as priests. And so he confronted them, but they completely ignored him. They did not respect him whatsoever. So did Eli discipline them, or did he, did he take them out of their role? Nope. He didn't do anything about it. And I don't know exactly why, but I have to wonder if he had that problem of wanting to be liked. And he would just do whatever it took to be liked by them. I, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that God punished them. In fact, one day in battle, the Philistines defeated the Israelites. Hophni and Phinehas were killed. When Eli found out about the news, he died. It was in one day, all three of them, all three of them died. You see, all grace and no truth, if, if we don't have a good moral compass... It's really a license for evil because when we're just given grace and grace and grace but never held accountable, that's not love. It's not right. It's lacking truth, and it can be a license. It can be a license for evil. Now, finally, we have the top right corner because, as you can see, those first three, they're duds. They, none of them work out well, and some have some strengths, the others don't, but none of them are the way that we want to live our life. In the, top th in the top right corner, however, this is the corner where we find Jesus, the one who was full of grace and full of truth. And, there, and as we look at the dangers of those other quadrants, we see what a gift that top right quadrant is. Do you have anybody in your life who's like this? Someone who is really full of grace and truth. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it was a teacher or a coach, an employer. Maybe it's a friend of yours. If you've got somebody, anybody in your life like that, just pause for a moment and give thanks to God. Because you've got a blessing that is so incredible. You've got one of the greatest blessings that you'll ever receive here on this earth. Someone who loves you in that way, who truly is full of grace and truth. If you've got somebody like this in your life, 
then you've got someone who genuinely loves and cares about you but also expects a lot out of you, you've got a great gift. How are you going to feel in this kind of relationship? You're going to feel loved, right? Because they do genuinely love you. You're going to feel empowered and entrusted uh, because they expect a lot out of you, and they also love you enough to, to give you grace but speak truth into your life. And so you're going to find yourself growing and developing, and you're going to find yourself empowered, and, and you're going to have the courage to step forward, to do new things, to try new things, that God's going to use that in your life. You're going to find yourself engaged and challenged because you know how important you are because this person shows you how important that you are. They invest in the relationship um, through their grace, and, and they also invest in you by speaking truth into your life. It's such a gift. It's such a wonderful thing. And there's countless examples of this in the Bible, but I'm just going to stick with number one. I'm going to stick with Jesus here, okay? Because this is who Jesus is, full of grace and truth. And I could share so many different examples. Let me give you just a couple. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus, he was always relationship first and challenge second. This is how he tended to lead. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That resonate with anybody today? Maybe you came in here today and you feel really tired and beaten down. These are the words of our Savior. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, or some translations say that it fits well, and my burden, or the burden that I give to you, is light. Notice that Jesus he begins with relationship here, and then he challenges us. He meets us in our place of need. He knows that we're tired. He knows that we're worn down. He knows that if we've been trying to work our way in a right relationship with God, we are exhausted because that's just not possible. You and I can't do that. And Jesus says, come, all who are tired, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Do you know why the world often looks at us as the church and sees us as judgmental or hypocritical? Because oftentimes we start spouting off truth without having any relationship first. We haven't done the work that Jesus did here to care for their needs, to listen, to love, full of grace and truth. You don't get rid of either one. You get rid of either one, you've got a problem. You see, in any relationship, friends, I can only challenge people to the level that I have invested in the relationship. I can only challenge people to the level I've invested in the relationship. So invest first, challenge second. Solomon said it this way, Proverbs eighteen thirteen: spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Wish Rehoboam would have listened to that one, right? It's, it is not a way to live. Think about your relationships like, like a bank account, right? I mean, if, if you got a bank account, you know that you can't go writing checks or spending money until you deposit money first. That's like lesson one of having a bank account. 
if you don't believe this and you try it, you'll find your checks don't bounce and you got a bunch of fees coming your way and a bunch of angry people in your life too, right? Because you didn't, you, you can't spend until you've saved, until you've invested here. And in our relationships, it's just like that. You've got to invest. You've got to invest in people first. You've got to genuinely love them. You've got to genuinely, genuinely care about them. You, you have to be willing to invest the time and energy and effort into the relationship so that they know that you love and that you care for them. Then you've got the opportunity to challenge them, to challenge them. If you're leading with challenge first, it seems just like you want to, like, talk at me instead of, like, listening and, and engaging with me. We all know this to be true, right, because we've all experienced the opposite, and let's say that you're, you're driving home today, and you, you accidentally cut somebody off in traffic, right? You, you didn't mean to. You're not trying to be nasty or whatever, but you just had to send that text, right? You didn't know. Don't do that. That's, that's a bad idea. You just, you know, for whatever reason, you cut them off. And they're not happy. They, at the next stoplight, they pull up beside you. They roll down their window, and they offer you some uh, feedback on your driving, Right? Are, are you all ears at this point? Like, thank you. I, you know, I, I needed to learn. It's been a long time since driver's ed for me, and I just appreciate you taking the time today, sir, to enlighten me better with uh, such colorful language about how I could do better, right? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you certainly don't say, hey, could, could we set up a time to meet when you could tell me about other areas of my life that I'm really also bad in? It'd be awesome. No, you don't do that because you have no relationship with them. And they may be speaking some truth, but you're not able to hear it or willing to hear it because they haven't invested in that relationship. What if it what if instead it was a friend, right? And what if the friend had given you some feedback in a more caring way about your driving, right? What what about that? Um, you'd probably be a lot more willing to listen to them because truth without relational equity gets ignored. It gets ignored. Or sometimes we just get mad about it. It's like, hey, who, who are you? Who are you to speak into my life? And, and granted, that's kind of an arrogant position. We all ought to be willing to take truth from people that we don't have a strong relationship with. But as you relate to others, it really is more wise if you're willing to invest in that relationship first and to make some deposits first. So how do you make deposits? Well, <laughs> you treat them like Jesus does, right? You listen. You genuinely care. You're willing to make sacrifices for them, to invest in them. You, you do what you say that you'll do. You're honest and trustworthy. You act with, with integrity in your relationships. You act with humility. You don't act like you know it all, but you come at it from a, a great posture of humility. So when you see then an opportunity, when you see an area in this relationship where some truth needs to happen, you're able now to speak into that as somebody who's already made a bunch of deposits, and they already know that you're for them. And so now you're able to be heard in a much, much greater way because they love you, they trust you, they care about you, and they respect your opinion. What if we led by listening? As Stephen Covey famously said, seek first to understand, then to be understood. 
What if that was the way that we lived? What if that was the way that we treated others? If it's like maybe maybe you've got somebody in your life that um, you who's not a follower of Jesus, and and you've been waiting for an opportunity to to share with them, and 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 you're having a conversation, and you you see the door open, right? And you see this opportunity. You know, what if you were willing to 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 not be afraid to open that door? But to do it in a kind and gentle way, right? You know, to say, hey, this, I love what we're talking about here. And, I, and I'm thinking of some ways that, that my faith relates to this. Would you mind if I shared a couple of those with you? And if they say no, don't do it. Pray to God that he'll give you the opportunity. Because if they're not ready, you're not going to cram it down their throat. I mean, do you receive information that way? Probably not. In fact, if anything, it makes you more resistant to what they're saying. So keep praying and love on them. But at least in my experience, I've found people to be incredibly receptive to that because they know that I'm just being honest and sharing about what matters in my life and what I've found to be true and helpful. And they're often willing to hear that. Or if, if you need to confront something, what if instead of saying, all right, listen up, you're just... You, you're really not very good at this, okay? I am. I'm here to help. No. What if instead we said, hey, I, I see some things here that, that are concerning. I've got some concerns, and I'm wondering if, if you'd be willing to hear those. I'd love to share them with you today. I have a feeling people are going to be a lot more receptive to that. Jesus did this uh, one time. Uh, it was when he was entering uh, the city of Jericho. And you're probably familiar with the story. There's a pretty famous song about this. Uh, Jesus is coming in, and there's a guy named Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Remember, tax collectors are hated. They are not loved at all by their countrymen because they were Jewish people who had sold out to the Romans. So they, had, uh, so they, they were working now for Rome, and they were collecting taxes from their own people. And when they overcharged people, they got to keep that. So as you can imagine, they frequently overcharged people. So the tax collectors are getting rich over here off of all of us who have to pay them and don't have much of a choice. And, and they sold out. They sold us out because they just want to have this big fancy lifestyle. So you can imagine how hated tax collectors were. Zacchaeus, he wants to see Jesus. He's heard great things about Jesus, but he's, he's, well, remember the song, he's a wee little man, and so he can't see Jesus, so he climbs up in a sycamore tree, right? And Jesus, he looks up, and, and he sees him up there, and he, and he says this to him. He says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Jesus, do you, do you not know you're supposed to be so smart? Do you not know who Zacchaeus is? Why, why on earth would you want to hang out with him? Of all people, for crying out loud. He rips us off. He steals from us. We all tell him how terrible he is. He doesn't even change. And you want to go have dinner with the guy. Now imagine, 
What if Jesus that day would have looked up in the tree and he saw Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, you are a failure. You sell out your countrymen. You are an embarrassment. Your riches should be a shame to you, and you ought to change. You ought to give them back their money. You ought to start living an honest life here, because I, the Son of God, have told you. I don't know what Zacchaeus would have done, but I have to think the results could have been different. How would you respond to that? How would you have responded? Well, Jesus takes the opposite approach. He leads with relationship, right? And it changes Zacchaeus' life. Verse 8, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give back half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll pay them back four times as much. He's a pretty good investor as well to have that kind of money. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Wow. Jesus takes the man that everybody hates and he honors him. He honors him. He goes against what the establishment did. He goes against what popular norms were. He honors him. And I don't know what Jesus said to him that day, but I know the results. And I have to think there was some truth spoken that day. Certainly somehow through that meeting, Zacchaeus comes to encounter the truth. What he's doing is wrong, and he needs to change. And so he changes. Oh, yes. He changes to an extreme crazy level. If I've cheated you, I'll pay you back four times tomorrow. I bet there was a long line at Zacchaeus' door the next day, right? What an amazing gift of grace. And now we get it. Love. Love is the tension between grace and truth. God is love. And the way that he looks at Zacchaeus, my friend, is the way that he looks at you and me. All of us, we've got our stuff. We've got our sins. We've got our shortcomings. We've got our flaws. And some of us, we look at God and we imagine this God who is so angry with us and pointing the finger and yelling at us and telling us how terrible we are. But look at your, look at Jesus. Look at this actual picture of our God. It's not what he does. Hey, I want to go eat lunch with you today. I want to honor you. I want to listen to you. I want to get to know your life, Zacchaeus. Nobody else cares, but I do. Because I came for you. That's why I left heaven. That's why I came down here to this earth. Because you matter so much to me. Friend, that's what Jesus is saying to you. He's saying, your life matters so much to me. I care about you so much. I would come down from heaven. I would, I would leave that. I would even give my life on a cross for you. I would take your sins. I would pay the price for your sins because you matter that much to me. I'm God of the universe. I can create anything. I can do whatever. But you matter that much. That's our God. And he calls us, he calls us out of our sin. He speaks truth. He doesn't want us to live in this mess anymore because if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And friends, when, we're, when we live into the freedom that Jesus has given us, then we want to help others be free as well. 
It's just a natural thing. And so Jesus, he offers you this kind of grace. He offers you this kind of love. He offers you this kind of joy and freedom because that's how good our God is and that's how much he loves you. And when he looks at you, he is 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. He sees your sin. He's calling you out of it. He's calling you to change. And he also sees you with love and grace and forgiveness so much that he would give his life for you. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to, to pray right along with me. Maybe, maybe you've never received this grace. Friend, let today be the day that you say yes to this grace. It is the best decision you can ever make. Uh, or maybe for you, you, you have, but, but your picture of who God is has gotten all out of whack. And you're seeing God as somebody who's really angry with you, and, and now you understand that, he, that he's not, that instead he sees you with grace. And that he's inviting you back into the truth because he loves you that much. So, God, I just pray. I pray for every person today who may not have made that decision to follow you. Lord, let today be the day we say, Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. I want to be like you. I want to be whole. I want to be free from these chains of, of sin and death. I don't want to live in that stuff anymore. Would you forgive me of my sins? I trust that you paid the price, Jesus. Would you free me to live in joyful obedience to you? And God, for those of us who we, we've walked away and we've, quite frankly, been scared to come back, help us to encounter you as this God of grace and truth. The God who knows our stuff and is calling us to a different life but who does so with such incredible love and grace, such forgiveness, unearned, undeserved, but freely given. Thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you gave your life for us, that you would die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name.